Today's episode of What's on Your Bookshelf is brought to you by Insignia Training Partners, the leaders in outsourced L&D talent and resources. Insignia is a full-service learning and development company that provides L&D talent to design, develop, and deploy your training solutions. Insignia specializes in providing the right resources for your projects at a fraction of the cost as opposed to bringing on new full-time employees. This includes fractional chief learning officer services for enterprise training strategy, instructional designers to develop your training content and materials, facilitators to deliver in-person or virtual training to your staff, LMS administrators to manage the process, virtual training producers to make sure your virtual training is engaging and effective, and coaches to support the learning after training is completed. If you don't have a training department, that's okay. Insignia can be your bolt-on training department. With Insignia, you get dedicated resources providing fractional services by specialists in their field. Whether it's onboarding new hires, upskilling your team, or ensuring compliance, Insignia designs impactful programs that stick. Visit insigniatraining.com to discover their full range of services and to schedule a free consultation. Insignia is your partner for training success. Welcome to What's on Your Bookshelf with your hosts, Denise Russo and Samantha Powell. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf. This is a life and leadership podcast where we're exploring the lessons that we're living out loud from the books that are on our shelves. My name's Denise Russo, and I'm joined today with Sam Powell. We are going through a multi-episode series of the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. If you haven't heard the past episodes, we invite you to listen and catch up. And if you haven't, if this is the first time that you're listening in, you could just jump right in where you are because we're talking about habits and how to make them obvious. We are in the first law of the Atomic Habits book called Making It Obvious. And today we're exploring what happens in chapter five of the book. Sam, great to have you back again today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How about you? How's your day going? It's going so well. I'm really starting to see how to make these habits more conscious and more obvious. I'm really looking forward to this chapter. I'm going to pre-warn the listeners that we might go long on this one because there's so much good stuff that we've learned in this chapter together. Yeah, so So, this one kicked off. You liked the story from the very beginning of this, so walk us through it. Yeah, there was a story in the very beginning where it was from scientists, and I'm sort of on the nerdier side. And so the book started by talking about these researchers uh, back in 2001. I can't even believe that that's like 22-ish years ago or so, but in Great Britain, (laughs) right? The only reason I know that is that's how old Olivia is. So that's how I targeted it on the year. But gosh, that was just like not that long ago. Oh, gosh. Anyways, these researchers began working with around 250 people. They were trying to help them build better exercise habits. And that was probably the reason that it stuck with me to begin with when I read this chapter, because I'm always looking for better ways to have better habits around exercise. And so they ran these people through uh, a course over two weeks, and they put the 250 people into three groups. The first group was their actual control group, and all they were simply asked was, 
just to track how often they exercised. There were no other parameters around it. The second group they studied was called the motivation group. And so they were asked to not only track their workouts, but they had to read something afterwards about the benefits of exercise. And they explained to the group how exercise would reduce something drastic in their life, like reduce heart disease or improve heart health. But then with the third group, the third group not only had to do the same thing as the second group, so they had the same level of motivation, but they were also asked to actively, proactively, and intentionally do something, which was to formulate a plan for when and where they would exercise in the next week. So not just where they were this week, but where they were going to be in the next week. And so they had to actually complete a sentence that said, during next week, I will partake in at least X amount of minutes of vigorous exercise on X day at X time in X place. So it was a very specific plan, not just to say, oh, next week I will exercise. It was next week I'm going to exercise for a certain amount of minutes on a certain day at a certain time in a certain place. And so what they found in this study is that in the first and the second group, Everybody exercised like about once a week. There was very little variance between group one and group two, but they found that with group three, 91% of that group exercised at least once per week, which was more than double of the normal rate. And so the book talks about how that the sentence they filled out is what researchers call an implementation intention, which is a plan you make beforehand about when and where to act. And I know this impacted you as well, Sam. So talk to me a little bit about what it meant to you when you read about implementation intention. Yeah, I thought about back to my like running a team days and especially around change management. I think this is the thing that we get so wrong with change management, right? We focus on motivating people and making them feel like, yeah, you could do it. This is going to be great. This is why we're doing this, right? Like we're we're getting good at like the why are we putting this change in place? What's going on there? But we're not good at a lot of times. And what I see when I see things fail, this is what I see, is that we did not do this part of it. We did not specify what behavior needs to change, when that behavior needs to happen, and what specifically, what actions specifically go on at that time, right? So a good example I can think of the one I was telling you, right, is like, so say you wanted to improve customer satisfaction with your team. And so you said one of the things, somebody came up with the idea of we should write them thank you cards, right? Like a handwritten note, people love that. It's gonna help them feel connected to us. That's wonderful, let's do it. And so you say, okay, team, I want everybody to you know, write 10 thank you cards a month. And that's what you tell them. And everyone goes, oh, okay, sounds good. So when does everyone write those 10 thank you cards a month? The, the day you're checking if they, they did it, right? So if you say, hey, on the 31st, I'm gonna check that you sent 10, uh, they all did it on the 31st that morning, <laughs> right? But that's not the intention. That's not really what you're trying to get. You don't want your customers to feel like you thanked them at the end of the month as a checklist. You want them to feel like you thanked them for something specific that happened in a timely manner, right? Like you, you're trying to drive a whole different level of customer connection. And so if you were to change that and say, I want you to write a thank you note every Thursday at 2 p.m., whole team's going to have a meeting on their calendar that's blocked off. The cards are sitting right here. All you have to do is walk up and get them. Actually, we mailed them to your house, so you just have them, right? Like, here's how you do it. Here's all the barriers to get in the way of that. And this is exactly what I want you to do at exactly this time. 
time. Guess what? Every Friday, those cards are getting mailed, mm-hmm. right? Instead of everything being done on the 31st, because that's when you're checking them. So like when I think about this and when I think about really being specific, this I, th- I thought about change management. And when we think about setting up atomic habits, same thing, right? I'm trying to have a different habit, a different behavior, become an identity I want to become, it's really change management at the end of the day, right? And how do I do that? I focus on really, really specific implementation and, you know, the intention that I've got for that. So, yeah, I, I loved this story. I, re- I read through this part twice because <laughs> I was like, man, this is good. And again, exercise is something that's important to me to get around to on my habit list here. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's a good one. What I'm hearing you say here is so interesting because you're the systems person, you're the systems expert, and you love process. And so what I just heard you say is that it's first important to know what you want. So if you don't know what you want, you're going to not know how to get to where you want to go. But you just described that if you can identify what you want, but follow it with how to get what you want by when that you want to do that, that it's going to create a system of success. And it's interesting because for the listeners, Sam and I are both certified in leadership development, coaching and training by John Maxwell, who's one of the most foremost leadership experts in the world. And he has a great book out called Change Your World. In the book, he talks about how good intentions without actions are worthless. So you may want something But how much do you really want it if you do nothing about it? You need some sort of a trigger, like you're suggesting, Sam, where you don't just wait till the end of the month. But what are those triggers that bring you there? In fact, James talks about in the book about having it be very specific and not vague that never say, I'm going to just do something, but never coupling it with when am I going to do it? Where am I going to do it? How am I going to do it? And many people think they lack motivation, but what they really lack is clarity. So what does that say to you about clarity, Sam? Oh my gosh, that that is a really powerful statement, right? So you think you lack motivation, right? And how many times have I heard somebody say this in my life? Like, I just need to get motivated to do this. And it's like, nope, what you need to do is get clear on what you're doing and when you're doing it and how you're pulling it off. Motivation comes and goes, right? Like I think about elite athletes. Do you think elite athletes are motivated to go to the gym every single day? No, (laughs) right? There are days where they wake up and they're like, forget this. Like, I don't want to do it. But guess what? They do it anyways, because they have a system in place. They've got clarity on what they're doing. I go to this, I go to the gym at the facility. And when I go to the gym and because it's Friday, I'm working on my arms. It's arm day, right? Like you think you hear people who are gym rats say that all the time, right? I have leg day of arm day. You know exactly what you're doing. You know exactly when you're doing it. And so you're taking all that like extra thing because motivation isn't real. It comes and it goes and you cannot wait around for motivation to make things happen you need to make a good plan when you're motivated for when you're not motivated (laughs) to get it done later. I wonder if it's sort of like just changing the wording and the thinking, because we've talked about in all of our past episodes that our outcomes are based on actions, which are based on beliefs we have about something that all stem from our thoughts. And so it made me think about when you were just describing that, that do we often say, well, is there a... A one or the other, like I want to versus I have to. But maybe if we change the way we say it to say, instead of I want to versus I have to, to say, I have to do such and such because I want this outcome. So yeah. that have to then becomes something 
you also will embrace as a want because there's something at the end of the want that you desire. And so, in fact, James talks about in this chapter, the best ways to start a new habit are talking about being specific. Like, I will do something, a behavior, at a certain time in a certain location that will help cement these habits. And Sam, you were telling me a really great story about something you did in your house recently that's helping you to change some of your outcomes based on some of your previous uh, results that you were having. So share a little bit about that with your house. Uh, about me changing and cleaning up all my rooms. <laughs> yeah, I like the story because I need to do it. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I, I noticed, right. So I'm trying to make the unconscious conscious. I noticed that when my spaces, my physical spaces around me are messy, are cluttered, right? Like let's get real Marie Kondo on this, right? <laughs> like when they're that level of cluttered, I just, I don't, operate at my best. I don't feel my best, right? I'm constantly distracted, right? I walk into the kitchen to go grab lunch or refill my water. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this mess. Here's all the things that I have to do. Here's whatever, like, right. And so then I'm like, well, I need to have a clean house. And then I think, okay, I'm a real person who's a working mother and a wife. And, you know, I do a million other things. Like, having a clean house feels unrealistic. So what I decided to do was to focus on um, just the key rooms, right? I've got plenty of rooms in my house, but I'm going to focus on the key rooms that I spend the most time on. I'm just going to do, do the biggest bang for my buck. And so I broke that down into my kitchen because we all spend all of our time in our kitchen. I have a living room attached to my kitchen. So that's where we hang out. <laughs> so those two spaces are kind of like one giant room. So there's that room. And then my office because I work from home. And so I spend a lot of time in there. And then my bedroom because that is where I start and end my day. And if that is a very very peaceful place for me, then that's a good thing. So I decided to break it down into like my living room, kitchen, which are one room, my office and my um, bedroom. And so what I thought is, okay, I'm going to get to the point where these things are cleaned so that the they're organized, they're simplified so that all I have to focus on in the habit that I build is just a room reset. So the room reset is the thing that I'm aiming for at the end of the day. So what I need to do to accomplish that is to figure out a place for everything. I've got to simplify stuff out. I've got to go through things. So for my office, for example, I took every single thing out of it. I pulled all the books off the shelf because uh, they were real dusty. <laughs> so I pulled all the books off the shelf. I opened up all the drawers and things. I have one left that I haven't gotten to yet that I got a, hmm, it's a mess. But I pulled everything out. And then I went through all of it and I organized it and I said, do I need this? Do I not need this? What do I need to get through? What do I not need to get through? I had one box that I just like, for some reason, just couldn't. It was this huge mental block. I handed it to my husband. And I said, listen, I organized my office, which has a bunch of our collective stuff in it too. And I said, I can't do this one. I don't know why I can't do this one. I need help. I need you to do this. one." <laughs> so he went through that box. I did the other ones, right? So just kind of unblocking in like piece by piece and just letting myself get to the point where, okay, the office has now a default setting. And so all I need to do in a day-to-day -day space is reset. Same thing with the kitchen. Every single thing in my kitchen has a place. Sometimes it's real specific, right? All my little forks go in this little spot. Sometimes it's this drawers, all the random things <laughs> that I, you know, that are all my appliances or whatever. Every single thing has a place. And so at the end of the day, it's just a room reset, right? One of my habits, one of my checklist activities is did I reset the kitchen? 
Yep, I did, right? I moved all of the dirty dishes to the dishwasher. I moved all of the clean dishes to the spot that they go in. It takes zero mental effort whatsoever. And now that it's clean, now that it's at a baseline, and I'm just focusing on reset, it takes me five minutes, 15 minutes. Like, it has been so easy to keep up with. I've been doing it for, I think I'm on like day... 13 because I'm tracking this. <laughs> uh, day 13 in my kitchen. This is the most consistent my kitchen has ever been cleaned ever. Wow. In wow. My whole life. That's like a truly amazing result that all you did was take intention, bring your unconscious to the conscious and be able to create this new habit that I have to take advice from you. In fact, I was recently coaching someone who's going through a similar process and what they did in their office, they were finding similar, like their office was not messy, but it was cluttered. There was just too much stuff. And it was causing the person to have lacking mental clarity because they were continuously distracted by something around the office, which is truly the play of my own office. And so what the person did was they took everything that was in their office, I mean, everything, put it in crates and put it in a room on the other side of the office and, in, and made an intention that day in that specific location to empty the office with the intention of cleaning the physical room and then slowly introducing things back into the room. Now, what was the challenge was there were things competing for their time as well, like eating or answering the phone or checking on email, but but this person made an intentional action of saying, nope, today the priority is this office. And one of the things they told me afterwards was that they got more work done the following week, following three weeks, because it happened three weeks in between our sessions. They got more work done, more clarity, more peace, better sleep, and actually also had been able to incorporate things like exercise, which was an, an outcome you wouldn't have expected to happen, but it was because they weren't focused on the clutter. And the book even says that being specific about what you want and how you will achieve it helps you say no to things that derail progress, distract your attention, and pull you off course. I know for me, I often get distracted with lots of things going on. And I'm the type of person that loves variety. But when you introduce too much of it, it creates more distraction or it may it creates more, uh, I would say, inopportunity to stay focused. And so there was a part in the chapter, Sam, talking about habit stacking. And, and you were telling me a little bit about how you were doing this. So could you share a little bit about what this thing is James talks about in here called the Diderot effect? Yeah. So this is super interesting, right? So this comes from a story of a French philosopher who basically got went on a shopping spree is kind of what it boils down to. The story is super interesting, definitely worth a read. But the it, it came up with this concept that's called the Diderot effect that is obtaining a new possession often creates a spiral of consumption that leads to additional purchases. And like, we see this all the time, right? You buy one thing and then all of a sudden you're buying a whole bunch of stuff, right? Like, oh, I bought this and now this and now this and now this and now this and marketing companies and stores use this against us all the time. But the point that James is making is that many human behaviors follow this cycle and that you decide what to do next based on what you previously 
finish doing. Like, right, I just finished buying something. And so I decided to buy something else, right? That's that's kind of the point of this. And that James really gets down to that no behavior happens in isolation. Each action becomes a cue that triggers the next behavior, right? So this this section, this law is around cues and it's about mm-hmm. making it obvious. And so what he's saying is that it's not only just time, place, whatever that helps us you know, do whatever, what a lot of times in what our days is it's the previous behavior that spawns the next thing. That behavior is the cue for the next behavior that we're doing, right? Like I buy something and so I buy something else, right? Mm-hmm. I bought a toothbrush and so I bought toothpaste, right? Because those go together. It triggers the next behavior, right? I eat something salty and now I want something sweet, right? Like the salty is the cue to the sweet. I wasn't going to eat the bag of M&Ms, but I did because I ate a potato chip, right? Like in high school, one of my favorite like snacks was a bag of Oreos and a bag of Lay's potato chips. That was when I was super active and my body could handle that kind of abuse. But it was a it was a trigger. I Then I couldn't eat a chip without thinking like, oh gosh, now I need an Oreo, right? Which is just a terrible habit to, to fall into. But it's this idea that if you realize the thing you just did has a high probability of predicting your next behavior, you can hack that in order to get into to better habits. So if you say, hey, after this, I'm going to now put an association in my brain, right? Because this is all our brains are doing is creating these loops, is now I can hack this to be something to be something better. I'll tell you what, everything you just said, marketers are so brilliant at this. Yesterday, <laughs> oh my gosh, yesterday. So all of a sudden, Olivia comes out of the blue saying, I need a butter dish. Now, I don't know why she needs a butter dish, because usually, you know, you could buy butter already in a tub, I guess. Or you could put butter, I don't know, on a dish. But she wanted a butter dish. So we went out, and meanwhile, it's starting to get late in the day. We were preparing for a hurricane, and so we said, let's skip the butter dish and get some groceries because we're going to need some groceries if this storm really hits in Florida. And so we went to the grocery store. So we're walking around, and she says, well, let me just see if they have a butter dish at the grocery store. So we walked down the aisle where butter dishes would be at the grocery store, which, by the way, don't ever buy a butter dish at the grocery store. They're exorbitantly overpriced inside the grocery store, which you would think would not be the case. But I guess if you're really desperate for a butter dish, you might pick one up at the store. But my suggestion is don't buy it at the grocery store. Meanwhile, we're walking down the aisle that leads us to the butter dish store. And, you know, on the front of the aisles, they have everything on sale by one get one free so now suddenly we needed to have buy one get one free cereal just in case and we needed buy one get one free syrup i don't know just in case we needed two gigantic bottles of pancake syrup for our one day hurricane which turned into just not even a light rain but then we were going towards um the produce section by now we're starving which again bad idea to go grocery shopping when you're hungry And so Olivia, because kids get distracted now more than ever on social media, she starts watching these TikTok videos about making this pizza that she really loves at a restaurant that was closed because we were everything was closed for the hurricane. And it was this fig and goat cheese white pizza, basically. So she says, let's make this for dinner. 
So sure enough, we get over to the produce section and to my dismay, figs were buy one, get one free on sale. So now we knew, well, we need, we need not just one box of figs, we need two boxes of now I don't know what I'm going to do with all these figs because we only needed like one fig for the whole entire pizza. But each action becoming a trigger, a cue that triggers the next behavior, it all started for me with just needing to get this kid a butter dish. And it resulted in what actually turned out to be an amazing dinner of this fig and goat cheese pizza and us watching way too many TikTok videos of people who have made the recipe, who made it best. And we got into this spiral of watching things that were then taking up our time that we never had an intention to do before. But I do think it's important to reinforce for the listeners that habit stacking can be a good thing. It's a special form of this implementation intention. And James talks about how rather than pairing your new habit with a particular time and location, you pair it with a current habit. And it talks about a process called habit stacking, which is by a guy or girl, I don't know, BJ, I'm not sure if that's a male or female, but BJ Fogg started, oh, it says his. So BJ Fogg is a he, and he started a program called Tiny Habits, which are used to design obvious cues. Now you, Sam, talked about how you've done something for 11 or 13 days in a row, and it's actually changed everything for the positive. So what does habit stacking or what has habit stacking been doing for you? Yeah, so habit stacking has really, I'm looking at our time here. I think we're getting towards the end of probably this episode. So maybe we'll leave this as a teaser and then pick up on a part two here. Um, But yeah, so I really took this part of the habit, uh, this part of the chapter and thought, hmm, how can I hack who I want to become through these little habits, right? So like I mentioned, uh, I think here that, you know, I really wanted... I really want to, like, I'm an entrepreneur now. That's who I am. It's who I'm building my identity to be. And so uh, entrepreneurs, as I looked at it, are morning people a lot of the time, right? Probably not 100%, but, like, by a vast majority, I am not a morning person. So how do I maybe become more like a morning person? What does that look like? And so I used habit stacking, and I created this whole very simple system around stacking my morning habits and my evening habits. I want to begin the day and end the day very purposefully into a stack of habits that are building me into a different identity, building me into the person that I want to be. I'm casting a vote (laughs) for, you know, what that, what that looks like. So um, maybe we'll kick off the beginning of next episode with diving more into like, what does habit stacking really look like? And what does that really mean? Because it's, to me, it's changing my life. I've, I've been doing this 11 days in a row now. And like, I cannot tell you the difference it's made between 12 days ago and today. And just, just my general happiness, fulfillment, what I'm accomplishing in a day. Like, it's really amazing. So I, let's start out with a system next time, I think. That's a perfect segue because next time we'll start with the habit stacking on chapter number six, which is a topic of motivation is actually overrated, that your environment often matters even more. So looking forward to diving into that with you, Sam. For our listeners, please subscribe, share, and like what's on your bookshelf. Tell others, but also share with us what you're taking away from this. Sam, I can't wait to implement some of the things that you taught us today. And on behalf of my friend, Sam Powell, my name is Denise Russo. Thanks for joining us 
for another episode of What's on Your Bookshelf.